2020, we bid you farewell. And if you're listening to this in 2021, this is your first podcast of the year. Welcome to On The Whistle. My name is Zane Nabi. I have the privilege of hosting this African football podcast for you. A place to congregate, a place to talk, a place where we can celebrate and tell our own stories. But you know what? This wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't have my posse with me. And I'd like to welcome them all and introduce them one more time for this year. First off, we're going to start off with the man in your Wunde, Cameroon, Francis and Quain, high-flying sports media executive. He's almost like the Ric Flair of the podcast. He's classy, he's good, and he's everywhere. The other man who brings us youthful experience, Kingfoot.com's editor, the king of Cairo that Mohammed Salah should know, Ahmed Youssef. Welcome back. And finally, the man who has the tin to back up the CV, Spirit Cup winner, Courtney Freeze. We won't talk about the PSL title you won with Manning Rangers. You are without doubt the man who has the most spirit on this podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to the last show of 2020. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Zane. Doing very well. All good. Uh, excited to kind of summarize this whole year, really. Looking forward to reminiscing on some good times. I think, guys, I think you're both on mute. Courtney, you've unmuted yourself, so we'd love to hear what you have to say. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> uh, happy to be back. Um, looking forward to today's podcast. And once again, thank you for the introduction. Well, there we go. We've been doing this for so long. It takes Ahmed to come in and say we're all muted so we can then figure out our lives. But today's show, guys, is going to be a celebration of the On The Whistle podcast. It's going to be looking back to see at some of our highlights of what we've produced. Also honoring some of the best players and coaches in the world. And also looking forward to what we can do in 2021. The podcast, as I've alluded to in the introduction, was created as this water cooler, this barbecue, this braai for Africans to get around, to talk, to space, to discuss. It was our space that we own and our narrative that we own. Um, and the first question to each of you guys in the panel, and for those sitting at home, you think about this too. What has this podcast meant to you? And maybe, Francis, it's a nice place to start with you in your Wunde Cameroon. Well... It's been a really, really um, very fulfilling experience. I think better than could have imagined. Because I remember when you just initially came up with the idea, it was, I didn't think it would, I would be this um, taken by myself. So participating in it, it, it's become like a highlight of my own calendar. I look forward to it. Um, and the conversations, I must say, have been most enlightening. Some of the guests we've had, but most importantly, the exchanges and the format that you have so beautifully curated through the year. I have to say hats off. Uh, my hat's already off and yours is on, but uh, you understand what I mean. But it's really been quite fulfilling. And I have to say thank you, a big thank you to you for inviting me to be a part of this particular journey. But most importantly, uh, I want to say thank you to every other member of the panel, because I think our exchanges, our fraternity, uh, the honesty with which we have begun to shape something excites me about its potential future. So that's what it's meant to me, um, especially because we've also been stuck at home. Um, it's been a nice uh, get out. 
So spiritually, you travel, you get to be involved in the game, and uh, it's been really good. And the show would not be the same without you, Francis. We, we certainly love your perspective. And you know what? The check's in the post. Thank you for doing my PR out of there. Um, <laughs> um, Courtney, the man in the middle, shall we bring you in? For me, the pod has just been an element of enjoyment. Um, I remember when we first started the idea of putting this together, as Francis very eloquently put it. Uh, I didn't think I'd get so much excitement out of it. Um, I really look forward to these opportunities of getting on and talking football in a very critical but honest manner. Uh, the pod has also allowed me to to broaden my knowledge and my perspective by listening to other inf very informed people. For example, just like the, the statistics before we were talking about Nuno Espirito Santos, I, I, I didn't know his passion for being African. I would have never known it, Francis, if you had never spoken to me about it. So the, the, the pod has allowed me that open doorness that I never was going to come across. And it's just beautiful. And then it's just also the planning process of what goes into putting this thing together as well, which the, the pod has also given me. I didn't know um, without you being part of that, Zane, and because you're not selfish with the planning process, you, you, you involve us in it. So the pod has informed me in that way as well. So it's given me so much this year, the excitement, the knowledge of football and the real podcast side. So just something I'm really blessed to be part of. More than welcome. And, you know, Courtney, from my perspective, we talk about that planning process and you guys are so integral with it to shaping our editorial. But Courtney, you've taught me as a journalist some very interesting strategies on how to guest book. And you have been key to delivering some of those guests. Same with Francis and that, that stellar you know, contact book that he has in the game. And uh, just so, so that I say this openly, you've learned very quickly. So I think now you can have a career in broadcasting. So maybe it's time you quit us and move to Sky. <laughs> But before you do that, you have to learn to unmute, but that's okay. Um, they don't have the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you who they might have the budget for, one Ahmed Yusuf. Yeah, so I think, um, firstly, thank you for what has been an excellent year. And, um, uh, you know, I think the, a lot of credit should go to you, Zane, as well, because we, we've, we, you know, we've tried to help you source some certain people, things like that. But a lot of the hard work has been down to you and um, in, in, in the formatting of the podcast and, and setting it up. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much uh, work you've uh, put in. So, so thank you. Um, I think from my perspective, it's been a, it's been a very insightful uh, podcast. That's the one word I've used to describe it because um, when, when we first started it, I, I didn't kind of um, expect it to kind of be anything like it is today where we really try to dig in um, into certain players and see, get really interesting stories that you know people wouldn't have heard before. And, and that's, I think, what, one thing we've done very well this year is you know, speaking to the likes of you know, Chris Hewton or Toulouse and and they're, they're so, they're so um, well-versed and, and knowledge about the game and I feel like, you know, we spent maybe an hour or so talking to them, but there's still so much more that, we, you know, you can just sit with them for hours and, and talk. And um, I've definitely learned so much, um, you know, kind of, uh, I think in, in an era probably before my time, which is what I would want to learn. And then that's kind of being so helpful and, and useful for me to, to speak to those people who um, 
who've now you know retired, gone into coaching, and and and, and it kind of you get that, that insight into what football was like because. Um, as we said, we've always tried to make these podcasts as timeless, and I think that's exactly what we've done because people in five, ten years' time can still listen back and and find out about how uh, Chris Hutton's childhood growing up in you know in London was like. So that's definitely um, I think the highlights you know of what we've achieved this year. Two kind words, two kind words, Ahmed, and I think I valued getting to know all of you now, Francis. I'm going to I'm going to come back to you last but Courtney is a great friend and when I first came to the United Kingdom took me in as a brother looked after me showed me the ropes and when we sat and spoke about a podcast, I remember Courtney said, what is a podcast? Um, <laughs> he had no clue and now he's such an experienced podcaster. Um and we we love putting this together and Ahmed when I've met you professionally. You're such an experienced, um, even though young and talented uh, communicator and, and so knowledgeable on African football. It was like, you know, we got to give this guy more of a platform to talk and opine and share his perspective. And, you know, certainly the Kingfoot brand is amazing and what you guys do, um, not just in the Egyptian space, but to internationalize that. And for those who don't know, well, you haven't been listening to the podcast if you don't know this, but Francis organizes the Best of Africa Awards. He's the founder of it that celebrates um, African footballers and legends and people contributing to the game. And my perspective on this podcast was really informed by that, Francis, about those awards that you were putting together to celebrate our heroes. It's one of my favorite events to attend, and you've, you've given a lot of kudos to a lot of great people in the game. And really shone a spotlight on people who deserve it. But this podcast was there to do a similar thing. It was there to shine a spotlight on those who needed to know about our heroes, was to validate our own by our own. So we're not waiting for validation from a European space or a North American space. We are validating our heroes and we're talking to them authentically about things that they're passionate about. And we're also going to some uncomfortable spaces to talk about them about subjects they might not be comfortable with. But we're doing it all under the understanding that everyone's view is respected and everyone's view is encouraged. And I'll use the term Pan-African. And that was what we wanted to do with this podcast is to bring the continent together. So big, so vast, different languages, but so beautiful and so full of potential and in many ways, having delivered on that potential for a long time, and it's the same thing with African players. We have a strong lineage of successful African players. And if we don't honor our own, if we don't celebrate our own, if we don't own our own narratives, who will? So I just want to say it's been fantastic getting to know all of you as friends. We're less professional and more friends. And some of my highlights for the year have just been those water cooler moments between us as we debate and we discuss. And let me be honest, we all have very different opinions. Um, and that's all going to come through now when we when we talk about some of our highlights. And again, France, it's probably a good moment to bring you in because certainly, I think in most of our minds, arguably the most memorable podcast of the year was with one Benoit Asawakoto. Yes, I mean, I can't, I don't know where to begin to add to what you've just said. We've spoken with so many people, so many characters, so many professionals within the game with so many experiences. 
I mean, your conversation with Benny uh, McCartney this time, unbelievable. And then we had a conversation with Benny Asuekoto. And uh, this is a gentleman who I have a lot of respect for. Um, from the very first day I met him, um, he struck me as a, a person who knew his own mind. And even though he was part, in our very first conversation, I remember very well, I said, what do you think about football? And he said, it's a team sport for individuals. And I was like, say what? <laughs> and he was like, it's a team sport for individuals because you got to take care of yourself. But somehow you're part of a project that's bigger than just you. But the most important person is just you. And I was like, okay, please explain more. And I think when we had him on the show, it was a tremendous opportunity for us to all learn a bit more about him. And uh, I can't forget uh, his conversation or his exchange with us about nationality and identity and why he chose to play for Cameroon as opposed to playing for France. And that remains uh, for me as one of the greatest highlights of the of our exchanges these this year. I also loved what Kalusha had to say when we were talking about the tens in general and uh, the role of the brain being the, how the Africans can't be aren't seen as the intelligent people in teams. But yes, our exchange with uh, Asue Koto remains for me as the highlight of the year for me. Perfect, and that's a perfect segue for us to listen to just a clip of that Benmore interview. So here we go, guys. Take a listen to this. So in this thinking by yourself, how did maybe this mindset that you seem to like, how did that maybe inform your decision to play maybe for Cameroon, for example, with international football? Um, was this always what you were going to do if it was... Maybe from the age of nine or ten, you always wanted to play for Cameroon, or was it something that the professional in you, or the thinker in you, was able to say, "Here are my arguments for why I choose to play for Cameroon instead of maybe not even having an international career or playing for France, where you're born, where you live"? How was that decision made for you, for example? Um, you know. I think as less you have, when less you have in your head, more you are happy. So since young, I used to see as when you have color on your skin, they don't see you as a French person or French people. I don't. And then you grow up, and you start to be interest, to be interested by your your country from Cameroon, you know, and you realize as, okay, the, the, the history was not nice for African people. I say, okay, it's in the past, you know. But when you realize as today, there is a same kind of story by the same people, and you realize as your country still under under uh, under control explain to me how and why you want you would like to play for this country who put your country in trouble or who give him a tax and stuff like that i can be poor to 
to, to, to wear a blue shirt. And I know this country give uh, trouble to, 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 to my uh, other side, you know? And it's like, if I see two guys about to fight, I will be for the, for the man who will be beaten. Yeah. The underdog. Support yeah, exactly, the underdog. exactly. And it was same for, for uh, two choice for between France and Cameroon. Uh, and then I think this, if uh, many people used to put a little bit more in your head about the history and stuff like that, I don't think as they, they can be proud to, to wear this shirt. So as, um, for me as well, personally, I think the Benoit Asakota interview was, was definitely a highlight. Um, it showed how much of an open and honest player he was. Um, he wasn't really afraid to say kind of anything. And, and that's what I think is the best thing about this podcast is when we really dig into, into people's, uh, the way that they think and, and, and their mindset. And um, in specific for me, what I you know, really was really you know, insightful was his mentality on, on football sponsorship in terms of the players and their boot sponsorships and how um, when Courtney asked, you know, why do you play with 30 pound boots? We thought there was another reason, but an actual, the actual reason for it was something completely different. And it was something that uh, had, there's a lot of thought behind. And, um, and when, he, when he went to Spurs, for example, and he saw that the South African player was getting a thousand pound for a boot sponsorship compared to the uh, tens of thousands that other players were getting, he saw that kind of, that was unfair. And um, he didn't want to kind of you know, put an African pe person you know, down by saying, well, I'll accept a lower offer because in the future that's not going to help anyone. Um, and when he did go to these sponsorship companies and they said, you know, um, they, they refused to donate kits on his behalf instead of giving him money, he then decided, well, I'm going to go out and buy the £30 boots that, that I want to. Um, and I think that was really a very strong part of, of, of the podcast. Absolutely. And a perfect time to hear that clip right now. So take a listen. Benoit, I like I like your perspective. Uh, I like the way you see things and the the, the freedom of, of of looking at things. But I, I've got to ask you. I read an article about you uh, about a year ago about you you purchase your own football boots off eBay. Yeah. Well, explain to me why, as a professional, when you could have been sponsored, why would you do that? Okay, is what we is what we talking about a few minutes ago. And I used to speak with a friend who play in Cameroon, who play for Cameroon. We used to play for Cameroon. And um, the sponsor is more gen generous. You understand generous? Generous. Yeah, yes. generous. Yeah, very generous. Yes. With. Uh, European people and South Africa, South American people, because their business is in Europe, and the players from South America, they are they are a good publicity, so they are okay to deal with them. But Africa, they are yeah okay. You wear this kind of. Uh, we give you a sponsor like that. There is not another sponsor who will give you the shoes. But about the money, is going to be different. And I, when I spoke with my friend 
who used to play for Cameroon, he said, I said, but why you sign with them if they pay you less as the guy on the bench? And my friend told me, yeah, but they give me, uh, <laughs> they give me money in cash. I said, yeah, maybe you are happy now, but you will not help your little brother in few years mm. who will come because the people who work for this sponsor will see your little brother as you. I say, oh, thank you. You give me money in cash. I am happy with. And it's not good for African people. So that's why I said, okay, you know what? Give your sponsor. I don't need it. There is no reason as you give me a sponsor. I'm stuck with you. And you give less money as the, peop- uh, as the man on the bench. Let me buy my shoes. If Monday I want to play with Nike, I play with Nike. If Monday I want to play with Adidas, I play with Adidas. And I, and I am free. <laughs> you know? I, 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 love, I love the fact that you said I am free. Because players become caged by their contracts. Exactly. Uh, and, if, and, uh, if, if it's a gold cage, cool. Mm. But to give me a little thing and and see me like the little African as a man. I'm not a little African. I'm proud, but I'm not a little African. Let me free. Keep your money. You know, uh, you know, Benoit, I'm so happy that you were able to explain that because when I read the article, that didn't come through in the article. It, it came through that you just like uh, retro old style boots. But I like the... it because sponsor is not cool with me. Yeah, but but to hear your 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 thought behind why you made those decisions, I think is a very powerful point. But and you know, like I spoke about solidarity, mm. is difficult to explain to the African player. Mm. Tell them no, thank you. I prefer to play with black boots. So another one of my my highlights as well was the Project Africa debate um, that we had, and I do think that. Some of the my favourite podcasts have been the ones where we just kind of go at it, all the all four of us, and share our opinions because um, we all come from the, we have different mindsets and the way we're thinking about certain things. And um, for the Project Africa one, I you know we all agreed that um, there was a lot of influence from FIFA, and, and it probably wasn't the best thing for Africa when um, you know, Infantano was making the the. the, the Talking about Project Africa without even consulting any anyone in Africa, um, and, and making those those plans and ideas, and um, that was good that we all agreed on that. But my my best part was when we kind of all debated on the, the Super League idea, um, because you had myself who, you know, thought you know it's not not the best thing, and, and it'll you know um, it'll be difficult for fans to travel, they'll it'll be difficult for teams to get in, and, and there will be no rivalry. And then you had Francis who kind of. Um, thought you know why not try it? It can you know, for commercial reasons and and interesting having you know at the time that's what I agreed on. Having listened back to the podcast, I kind of you know listening and recently I kind of got a bit swayed by Francis's view and I think um, you know I, I kind of to an extent agree with him. You know why not try something um, if, if you know you know we're gonna achieve anything if you, if you don't try. And um, so that was definitely a highlight of uh, of, of the podcast for me. I mean, it's a case of who confronts us way with his arguments. But yes, I think we all left there going, there's a potential for something pan-African and there's something here that can work. 
but do we have the right people coming up with the concepts um, of how we do this Pan-African tournament? And um, should it be a closed competition, a la the NBA, a la the NFL, and the pros and cons to that? Um, and I think, uh, Francis, um, you know, once again, thank you for sharing that perspective with us, because it certainly challenges us all to move out of our comfort zones and, and learn. Um Courtney, this is probably the longest time I've had you silent on the podcast. So um, I got to bring you in to hear what your highlights have been. My highlights are also going to dovetail off the back of the Benoit conversation where he spoke about how Harry Redknapp was such a good manager to him. Uh, and he also spoke about how he hated working under uh, AVB. How he said Harry Redknapp wouldn't put them under pressure to go play for their countries. And 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 how he would also put them under pressure to get back and the freedom he gave to the team when they went out to play. Um, and that conversation really sat well with me because this is what Harry Redknapp looks like to us. But to now really get it confirmed by someone who's such a clear thinker like Benoit was such a nice thing to get. And then uh, another highlight for me was listening to Chris Uton, um, where he spoke so in-depthly about the the management minefield that they go through as managers. Like, um, for perspective, today they've just fired the Watford manager. That means nine Watford managers in under two years have been fired. Now, we know that um, he, Chris Houston was looked at for that job, but decided to go against it. Um, but a fantastic man who spoke about the in-depths of, of football management and how he sees a team, how he prepares a team, and how he also deals with the, the board as well. Things I would have never known about. So I, I loved that intimate conversation. And then the other one was a resurrection for me. I don't know how Delron came into it, Delron Buckley, who was... Sorry, who is Delron Buckley, Courtney Freeze? <laughs> Galdron Buckley, as I was about to say, was one of South Africa's superstars before he was a superstar for the national team. Uh, a, a young guy I grew up with um, from Durban, played with, uh, played with and against multiple times as a youngster, but everyone knew this, this guy is going to go to the top. And he got into football management and then just fell off the map. And then we brought him on the pod where he spoke very, very clearly about the difficulties he's had in football management, especially being so highly qualified. He could not understand how he wasn't employed in the climate in South Africa. Uh, and then surprise, surprise, the train docks. Delron is now an assistant manager at Maddisburg United. I wouldn't say it's down to our podcast. Uh, but I'd like to know. You what wouldn't it say it's part of the podcast. I would say, I would say, Dalron was in a space where nobody was necessarily reaching out to him. And part of the strength of what we do is we go a different direction and we try to find people who are interesting. And we got an opportunity to speak to Dalron. Dalron was great in his anecdotes, talking about where he was. And that interview, Courtney's being a little humble here got picked up tremendously in South Africa. So a lot of people 
knew that Dalron was open for a job. And I do think this is the power of what we do at On The Whistle is because we're going to spaces where players don't normally go or other publications or other broadcasters, we're able to then magnify people's stories. And I don't think this wasn't a cascading effect. On The Whistle, media pickup, we're looking for coaching staff. Dalron is in a better position to then land that job because he was on the cusp of leaving South Africa. Well, he spoke he spoke very clearly about the fact that he wasn't able to get a job, how he was unfairly treated, and how his next move was to go back to Germany. He said um, to go to England on his way to Germany. That that was the what he had plotted for himself. And it wasn't, I would say, a month or two after that. Uh, a friend of mine in South Africa sent me an article to say, Dalron Buckley employed by Marisville United. Well done, Courtney. Well done on the Whistle podcast. And I was like, we can't be that good. Well, we helped Chris Hutton get the Nottingham Forest job too. I jest, of course. I jest. Oh. <laughs> but Courtney, if we were to play one clip from your Dalron interview, what would it be? I'm going to be selfish with this clip. The clip is uh, around the point of time where Dalron and I, as under 14 players, as as I told you, Dalron was the Messi of our time. Hands down, I'd never come across a more brilliant footballer than him. And uh, let me just go and say, in all the time I played, I'd never come across someone as good as Dalron. I played also with Benny over a week and a half period. Um, we were in the change room under 14s, national, uh, um, playing for our province. We were 3 0 up against Benoni. We were playing Johannesburg. Dalron had scored all three goals. He was running riot. The manager at the time comes into the change room and says to me, Stop giving the ball to Dalron. There are other players in the team. <laughs> Would you stop I, giving the ball to Messi? And 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 when I told Dalron this, he said, "What do you mean?" I said, you, "You don't know about this." But in the change room, he said that to me: "Stop giving him the ball. There are other players in the team." And my response to him was, "We three nil up because he scored all three goals. Who else am I going to give it to?" Uh, <laughs> but it was just about that. That whole conversation is about exposing your strengths. Our strength was him. Let's use him to the max. And the limited knowledge of the manager, that's what I was also trying to show as well. Instead of putting him in a place where he can affect the whole field, he was putting him out on left wing. But chaos is chaos. You could put it at right back wherever. The man caused chaos. We ran over that team, won the tournament, and I'm not lying to you. I have a medal because of that guy. Well, let's hear how you won that medal. Dalron Buckley's interview, or a clip of it, is played right now. Dalron, our connection goes back to very, very young, uh, when we were youngsters together playing football. And I, I always credit you. I never played at your level, but I always credit you getting me into the Natal squad. Can you remember how you did that? <laughs> well, you got to refresh my memory. And, uh, you know, you telling me I got you into the, into the KZN Natal team, then I must be doing something right, giving the crosses <laughs> in into the boxes. You must be finishing well. No, so... no, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, we, we played in a national tournament of which you were running riots like you normally. Yeah. 
And um, it eventually came down to the last game, Marisburg against Durban, which is a official and unofficial rivalry. On an <laughs> um, and I, I remember going to our coach and saying, listen, if I don't mark this guy, they're going to take yeah. it to the cleaners. <laughs> and we're going to lose this. And that's the only game we, we managed to draw the whole game. You didn't score, which was a, uh, an unbelievable thing for us. Um, and yeah. I think of that performance of uh, my man-to-man marking, I must have just had a good day. <laughs> no, I mean, you probably did a good job, to be honest with you. <laughs> to mark me back in those days, I mean, I was fast like a machine. I'm telling you, what unbelievable. You probably did a good job. That's why you got selected. <laughs> so well we done. get in. <laughs> We get, I get into the team. I don't know how I get into the team. And yeah. then, I don't know if you recall, we went to Boxburg to play football. Yes. I, don't, I still can re- remember. Huh? Yes. Did, we stay, did we stay in a school or something? Or? No, we stayed with families. They put us in, a, in, in with different families. We lived oh, with yes. yes, I remember. Uh, and I, I, was, I was talking about this earlier. I was saying we were winning a game 3-0. And half time, the manager pulls me in and says to me, Stop giving Delron the ball. <laughs> and I said, He's the best player in the team. Yeah. <laughs> Who must I give it to? The else, yeah. he, he, he plays on the left wing. I said, Well, that's your problem. Put him in the center. He's yeah. the best man. Let us help you. Uh, that's, that's how. That's how our story started there, uh, Delron. Uh, you know, good old days, eh, Courtney, seriously. You, but huh? well, well, at, so... at least you knew something good when you got the ball. There's only one man to look for is, is Delron, which that, you did good. Yeah. So I would the same play. thing if I was in your shoes, to be honest with you. Because he was the fastest on the pitch. I know if I'm going to play into space, he's going to get there. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Simple game plan. Courtney and Delron, certainly full value for money. Go back into the archive. Take a listen to that podcast. There's lots of gold in there that any listener would want to hear. I think from my perspective, when I look at um, some of our highlighted content, you know, I certainly agree with with Courtney, Ahmed, and, and Francis on what they've picked out. But I really enjoyed our conversation around the perfect 10 and honoring 10 of Africa's uh, 10s. And uh, we did that podcast with Kalusha Bualia, the Zambian legend um, who played in Europe who um, one of his iconic moments was scoring a hat-trick against Italy at the Olympics. Um, And I loved speaking to this real legend, not just of Zambian football, but of African football, hearing about his anecdotes about how he first went to Europe and the boots was something that he had to get his head around and how his first trial in, uh, in Belgium, he was slipping all over the field because he had the wrong boots. And then when he got the right boots, they signed him within 45 minutes of watching him play. Um, I enjoyed his anecdotes about how he knew um, and, 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 and went to Zambia to play against uh, Egypt and found out about the great Bebo, the, the current man who, who heads up Al-Akhli, uh, the juggernaut Cairo club. Um, and what I enjoyed about talking about the, the, when we honored 10 of Africa's uh, greatest tens was the insight from Kalusha. He's a student of the game. Um, his anecdotes on how he knew some of the players we were talking about or his observations. And thirdly, considering Kalusha's standing in the game, he treated every single one of us on this podcast as an equal and he validated what we said. He didn't speak down to us. He valued us. And for that, 
I really can't thank Kalusha enough. And if you get a chance, go into the archives, take a listen, and you'll see what a wonderful and smart thinker Kalusha is. But if I think about an interview that, if I was to, to really narrow it down to one, was my conversation with Mido um, and how this Egyptian icon pulls no punches. Um, he was incredibly insightful on Zlatan and how he keep how he kept him out of the IX team. How um, he thought Francesco Totti was the, the greatest player he played with, considering he played with Zlatan, considering he played with Drogba. It was interesting to hear that perspective. Um, and um, what I thought he really did was go to a space that I don't think many former players, current players are comfortable doing. And he spoke about fasting and how it relates to football and how he spoke about his concerns and discomfort with top players fasting and how there needs to be an honest conversation around the subject. Otherwise, he suggested there could be the worst possible outcome and we could see a fatality. And to hear Mido speak so articulately and so honestly on this was refreshing for me because this is a big issue in African football. And when we look at fasting and how that affects Muslim players, that's something I've seen you take to social media before about. And I just want to read back one of your tweets. We don't need to see someone dying first before we do something about it. Please stop players from playing while they're fasting, especially at this level. Can I ask you, wh why did you post that message? Because uh, I've seen a couple of players at Ajax uh, playing in, I think, semi-final Champions League game while they were fasting. And the game was, I think, 7 o'clock. So they haven't had any food in their body for maybe maybe more than 14 or 15 hours. And um, I thought this is very dangerous. And uh, to play with it, with I mean, of course, I mean, I fast myself. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I understand where these boys are coming from, that they, 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 they want to make sure that they're doing the right things towards, uh, towards God and towards Allah and, to, and towards their family because they, they, they know that there are some kids as well that are looking up to them. But they have to be careful. This is what, uh, what, I, what I'm saying. They have to be careful. Because uh, to play a Champions League game or a Premier League game, and you haven't had anything, any water, anything into your body for 15 or 16 hours. This is like uh, very difficult, very difficult. And I say that out of um, uh, worrying about them boys, uh, the, the, about the boys. I'm, I'm, I mean, I worry, I really worry, I'm really worried that one day we, 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 will, we will lose someone because, because of playing in, with such high tempo, high tempo, and uh, the aggressivity of the game now, without eating anything or drinking anything for 14 or 15 hours, I'm afraid that we will lose someone one day. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But doctors of clubs uh, at least have to look to, to, to them boys and give them the right advice from a medical point of view. And don't be shy of it. You're not attacking anything uh, towards the religion. You're just giving you your medical and, and your medical point of view that you give your honest opinion about it. And at the end of the day, if the player want to do it, at least you've said. I mean, it's a very sensitive point. And I prefer this coming from a Muslim person rather than coming from anyone else. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of doctors and a lot of coaches, um, they are um, worried about their own players, but they can't talk about it. They can't say anything about it because it's a very sensitive point.
and I'm telling them coaches and I'm telling the, the doctors, you have to say to the players and give them the right advice that they shouldn't be fasting, especially if the game is late. The game is late, uh, like just be, yeah, like I see, so, I see some players they start eating on half time, and uh, it's very difficult with the with the, with the, with the, with the, the game is changing now. The number of sprints, the 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 the, the, the tempo that the game is played at, playing being played at, uh, you need food into your body, and again, I prefer that this would come from uh, from from a Muslim person. Uh, rather than to come from anyone uh, from anyone else. We've all spoken about our highlights for the year, but a show like this wouldn't be complete if we didn't honor the players and coaches who've been so successful this year in African football. And Ahmed, I think a very logical place to start is in Egypt, um, because there was a very successful coach at a little team called Al-Akhli. So um, for the coach of the year, we've kind of um, all decided on, on the same person. It was a very unanimous decision um, in, in deciding that Pizzo was, was the best uh, African manager. Um, I mean, look at, looking at just this year where he's arguably, arguably done the, the double treble with two different teams. It's kind of, you know, um, pr pretty impressive to win six trophies in, in, in the space in just one summer, really. You get two different clubs where um, when he was at... Uh, Mamela Sundowns, he won the league, he had a lot of success there. And then his big, big move to, to Al Ahli, the um, biggest team in Egypt. And initially it was kind of seen as a bit of a, a bit of a risk by, um, Bebo, the chairman, because Al Ahli had, had always kind of prompted European managers and, and that's the way that they were thinking. And, um, instead they saw it as a risk by going, taking, uh, Pizza, which in hindsight is not really a risk at all, given that he's been the most successful African manager in the last couple of years. Um, and when he went to Al Ahli, won the, you know, within, within two days, Al Ahli had already won the league. And it's kind of actually debated on whether he, um, has actually received a medal for that or will be awarded that Premier League title. Um, but having included that Premier League title, include Champions League final against Cairo Derby rivals Zamalek. Uh, and then also winning the Egyptian Cup, which is something that Ali hadn't done in, in a number of years now. Um, so he's come in already, won three trophies for Ali. So uh, it's kind of a pretty obvious, you know, person for us to go for, but it's very deserved. Courtney, is Pizzo the Pep Guardiola of African football? I would say, yes, he is. Simple answer. He is just a manager with a glittering career. Um, a career just based on statistics of success. If you look at his starting career out at uh, Supersports United, a win percentage of potentially around 45%. He then goes to Bafana. I don't know why he struggled in that job and then moves on to Mamalaudi Sundowns where he then starts off really putting together his managerial career that puts him on the map with over 55% of a win rate in at that club. Um, a serial trophy winner. Uh, how could he not be looked at outside of the country? Because this guy also, after a very long period, won the CAF Champions Cup. Uh, the last time it was won by a South African team was uh, by Orlando Pirates. And that was years ago. I think I was still a junior then, when the great Orlando Pirates team uh, led by uh, Mark Fish at the time, uh, went on to win this trophy. Um, Pizzo is undoubtedly, for his achievements and his, 
his graduate uh, his gradual success to this particular point he's at. Um, if you look at his success at Supersport, he's got trophies, but he's also got two years of runners-up um, accomplishments for the league as well. So it's not just been an easy ride. And then a lot of people would have said, well, at Sundowns, he's had this huge budget. Anyone that leads any powerful organization knows it's not easy to lead powerful, high-thinking people. And this is what he's done. So I'll actually have come in and actually taken the best of who we've got at the moment. Uh, if Pizzo doesn't land in Europe, I'll be shocked because his pedigree at the moment is unlike anything I know. Which is a great way to lead on to Francis to go. What does Pizzo have to do? What more does he have to do to land a job in one of the top leagues uh, in, in Europe? I don't think he has to do anything. Uh, the onus is more now on ownership of uh, top league clubs across the European space, maybe, uh, for them to maybe broaden their, cast their nets a little bit further. Because I think uh, the challenge for the African coaches coaching on the continent is there's very little respect for what it is that is achieved in our space. And it's always defined as a space where the competition isn't as intense or uh, the standards aren't high enough to, to meet the European requirements. But I think that's actually very unfair because uh, what his philosophy of football, you can actually see through his career that he's developed a philosophy in the game. Um, there is a way he plays football. And I think a lot of clubs, like in England, to be specific to the space in which we, we, we operate predominantly, um, we recycle the same people um, and give, and it, it's, you kind of know where you're going to end up. Like a West Brom gets rid of their coach and they bring in a person who's already been at six other clubs in the Premier League, no discredit to his ability to coach, but then if you've coached England and you've coached in Everton because they were ambitious and were looking to push top four, how does that sit in terms of your ability to then come coach a club that's fighting relegation simply because you've never been relegated before? These are the kind of spaces that maybe sh should be able, and similarly they've done with talent on film, the ability to say we want to go find uh, uh, an amazing ball-carrying winger out of Congo or out of Malawi or out of South Africa. I think the time has come for a few coaches or a few owners to begin to also say, why don't we try another philosophy and test it out? Because the opportunity has been given to the South Americans, it's been given to the Eastern Europeans. Uh, I think it, this gentleman will make a fantastic case for being the first in the European space who can come in step up and apply his philosophy but must be given time and that's why i think the ownership the, the the onus will be on ownership as opposed to him he doesn't need to do anything more well said francis well said and i think i mentioned pan-african in uh, in an earlier block on the show and when pizza was appointed at alakhli um the south african president tweeted a message of support and that shows you about how football about how the sport can bring the north and south, east and west, wherever you are closer together, and how symbolic it was to have a sub-Saharan coach, which equates to a sub-Saharan leader and brain, guiding 
one of the continent's leading lights and an icon of Egyptian and North African football to a continental title, I think speaks volumes for how as a continent and maybe a blueprint, we can go forward with our coaches looking in different spaces and different leagues. And I know Pizzo's move, for example, got Clinton Larson, who Courtney and I interviewed on our podcast, thinking about taking up opportunities elsewhere. I think he mentioned the Ivory Coast. Um, and in the old days, South Africans' coaches and other African coaches might not have thought about going into those spaces for geography, language, um, maybe not being validated in those spaces. But now people are starting to think about that, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's the first kind of big case of inter-Africa, African you know, managerial movement. And it's, it's going to start something going forward, definitely. And hopefully it can also go the other way as well. Because to Francis's point, and this is where I'll close it, is that in a lot of African countries and in a lot of African top leagues, you get the same European coaches recycled. And we need to stop that. <laughs> we need to validate our own and empower our own. Um, and um, the reality is, and this isn't about every coach who comes from outside the continent because we want to keep open-minded, but let's bring in people who are adding value and have a track record of showing and illustrating that rather than coming in and taking jobs and money and experience away from people who might be deserving internally of that. You make a very good point, even though you sound like you could work for the NF or something. <laughs> Coming in, taking our jobs. <laughs> we want our but country make... back. We want our country back. <laughs> but you make a very good point. And I think uh, the importance here is about competence. I, and I must keep stressing that because I think in this gentleman, you have a person with a proven track record. Nobody's saying open up the doors now of Europe so African coaches come swarming in. Uh, it's not that. And in the same way, I believe in Africa, if we are recruiting coaches or players eventually, we must be looking amongst the best and saying we bring this person because they have a proven track record and can contextualize. So that's when you give them the time to acclimatize into our space, our conditioning, our social economic space, so the mathematics could be different, um, the way you're taken by the fans or the way the football is appreciated, but give them that time. So we're simply saying, this, I believe, is the best candidate we have had for some time who could make a difference in the European space. That doesn't mean he goes in there to go win it, but he has a winning mentality. He's also not one of those people who says, I want to make up the numbers. So. If an Everton, for example, or an Aston Villa, for example, who have their good Egyptian connection through the stories might say, okay, you've seen what he's done at Al-Hali, so give him a go. That's not to say get rid of John Terry. They're doing their job and everything's good, but just cast your net a little bit wider and give an opportunity to somebody who could be deserving. And I think he'll make a fantastic case. Exactly. We're not calling for Dean Smith and John to lose their jobs just no, yet. No, no. I think uh, I just want to echo the point there. We are, we are examples of opportunities being given, okay? We are on a smaller scale. Francis, Ahmed, yourself, Zayn, and myself, we work in Europe, right? We've been given that opportunity. So what is stopping the other top flight clubs? And we're not even looking at premiership. Let's not even look at that. Let's, the, the leagues across Europe, 
even the lower league, what more does someone like him need to display, not do, on, a, on his CV to say, I warrant a position in Europe? Because I could mention managers in Europe who are actually working in the top league now who've won nothing. Absolutely nothing. But let's, let's also not you know, look at you know, someone like Watford who just uh, have signed nine managers in the last two years. They're giving yeah. people chances who, you know, uh, you might not have heard of the football. So why aren't they giving, why can't they, so if they're not so serious about long-term management, then why not give somebody a chance then? You know, so um, all we're looking for, for Pizzo, right? And I'm not saying that Pizzo should leave al because that, that is a, a big job, firstly. Let's recognize that and not diminish where he currently is. That is a big job. If he ends there, he has done Everest. So forget that. But when someone has a CV that talks for him without him saying a word, I just think, as Francis said, people need to do their homework, stop looking only at Sam Allardyce when teams get into trouble, and cast the net wider than just Bolton and maybe Newcastle. There are other very talented people out there that are capable of leading teams. Amen. Amen. And I think this will be the perfect segue, Courtney, because I'd like to keep the ball with you when we start to talk about who are players that we want to honor uh, this year. Our players have stood out to us. I mean, um, when you look at your team, I'm not talking about Manning Rangers, I'm talking about Liverpool. Certainly, the thrust of that success has been built on an African players. For me to pick my player of the year was difficult um, because Sadio Mane is uprooting houses. That's all I can say. He, he came off yesterday after scoring two and I thought that someone's going to get hurt with the way he was upset. But I cannot look past Mohamed Salah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's eating. I don't know what his diet is. I don't know... How has he got himself into this purple patch of form that has lasted for so long? Having never been in a purple patch ever, he's just all of a sudden like was reborn the superstar and has consistently created these numbers which just don't make sense. And the other thing when I refer to his diet, Mohamed Salah is not getting injured. I'm looking at potentially... Five years at Liverpool, no major injuries, no hamstring tears for the type of player he is and what his game is designed around. Um, I just think it's phenomenal. The success of our team in the media, on the pitch, in all spaces comes down to the, 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 the cocktail of magic between the two Africans in that team. And and. But Mohamed Salah pips uh, Sadio Mane for me. Well, well articulated, well articulated. Um, to, Albert, to, do you want to get involved in the cocktail? Yeah, to, to kind of add to that, I mean, there is no denying that Salah's kind of been um, over the years just consistently a great, great top player and the numbers don't lie. Um, and for me, it was a very tough decision between him and, and Mane. But I think just this this last year, Bill Mane is just... Um, in terms of his influence in the team, has kind of picked it a bit more for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily say that, you know, 
goals and assists because obviously Salah would, would, would lead that. But I just said the way that the team is, the harmony within the team, the way that they're playing when they attack, um, I think Marnie's just been that that link that they've they've really relied on, and uh, I think he's had one of his kind of, one of his best best years, um, and definitely last season was his, you know, one of his best seasons. Where he scored eighteen goals last season, and um, but yeah, he, he might Mane will never kind of outscore Salah in, in that sense, but it's his actual influence within the pitch that has really for me stood out this year, and, and why I think he just pips him. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's great that we're having. To, to choose between two African players that, at this club that has won the, the league and we won the Champions League and it's kind of you know I think we've had that recently in a while so it's quite good. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to build on that because Mane was my my player of the year and I think when we were looking at who was named um, you know the uh, was it the PFA Player of the uh, um, the season um, I went to the Liverpool captain and I sit here and I go. In a historic season where um, Liverpool lifted their first uh, domestic title in in 30 years, how this doesn't go to somebody like Mane, who's been phenomenal, whether he's up front scoring goals, creating goals, being a team man, is it, it, it really shows the hypocrisy of not getting validation from your own. Because I think every single one of us knows sitting on this um, on this call, if Sadio Mane is English, he takes that award hands down. There's no debate. There's no debate, right? We can sit here and talk about how Virgil van Dijk might be more influential to Liverpool and the role that he plays in the team. But if Sadio Mane is English, is British, he takes this award because of what he's done. And I know that... Ahmed has spoken about him on the field, but it's off the field that this guy really, you know, he 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 pulls up my heartstrings. And I'm going to read you a quote. It's a quote you guys probably have heard before, but nevertheless is worth hearing about. And this was in relation to how Mane um, spends his money and time off the field. And he said, why would I want 10 Ferraris, 20 diamond watches or two planes? What will these objects do for me and for the world. I was hungry and I had to work in the field. I survived hard times, played football barefoot. I did not have an education and many other things. But today, with what I earn thanks to football, I can help my people. Mane, who's obviously from Senegal, he's built schools, stadiums, provided clothes, shoes, and food to people in extreme poverty. He gives 70 euros a month to people in a very poor region in Senegal and keeps that community going. He doesn't display luxury cars, homes, and trips, and he really tries to use his position to make that change in the world. And this is why I think a player like Mane, as much as people go, he's a good player, he does what he does on the field, I think and this is where our space and on the whistle we do this, is we can give you the full picture of what a magnificent human being this guy is as an athlete and as a person. And I think um, for that reason, he's my player of the season. I salute that because um, Manny for me, undisputed. On the pitch, I don't think there's anybody, I don't even think personally, uh, forgive me, Courtney, I don't think Salah comes close because Mane's 
the glue. He's become that. And he came from another team where he was playing in a different position. And he's had to learn another position and then become the man that runs that team. And he does it with humility. And I, I love that about it. But like Zane just said, most importantly, it's the off-pitch stuff. And that's where here, in this particular year, and here with, I'm talking more, um, the year is almost being defined by COVID and the, these, these are social crises. Um, I'm going to be a little bit out of the box. I define my being African personally, as you know, Zane and Ahmed, you've attended BOA. Courtney keeps blowing us off, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, you know, I think I had COVID. <laughs> that's why I couldn't come. I've never Courtney, been sick in my life. You know, Courtney, you're a head teacher, and it's like a child not doing his exams and going, you know, I think I had the flu. That's why I didn't do it. I was broken, man. I was broken. I even bought a new suit. Oh, wow. Well. So back to more serious points. In this period, in this year, I think um, for the first time in a long time, um, and it speaks to certain points that I think we have all raised through the year. You said if Mane were British, um, he would have won the PFA award, for example, or would have been player of the season. Um, I want to also say here that the person I want to highlight is a young man called Marcus Rashford, whose background and upbringing would be privileged next to Manny's, but in the context in which he lives was challenging. But his spirit has been championed in the media space. I think also because he is British, he's not doing anything more than a lot of our brothers and sisters across the continent do uh, with their own means, with their own time and using the tools that are available to them. Uh, not everybody can have Burberry design a campaign with you uh, because you're the right face or you're the, you carry the right passport and you can help them sell things or that's part of their marketing brand. But the essence of what it is this gentleman is doing, I applaud because it hasn't taken away from what he does on the pitch. So very similar to a Manning, they work hard on-field, harder off-field. Some people story can be sold easier. So Rashford has an MP who he can speak with and he can rally up or raise a question in, in the House of Commons and put the Prime Minister of Great Britain on the back foot. And then you have a different kind of amplification of what it is that person is doing, as opposed to Mane who says, I do mine quietly, and there isn't the cause I'm championing is slightly different, and I'm rallying my troops in a different way. But they are both doing amazing work off field. And I think the essence of this element, I hope, comes to change the narrative we have around players and the game. The beauty of this game of football is that it's a social enterprise. It's really Every game, every team any of us has played for has been more about not the skills that we demonstrate on the pitch. We, we laugh at that in the changing room afterwards if you not met somebody or somebody scored a hat trick. It's the camaraderie. It's that spirit of oneness that comes together in those moments. And I think in this period, when you have a person like the coach of Liverpool, 
coming out to say I want to applaud the efforts of my rival team's player in Rashford at Man United. This is the kind of thing that never used to happen in football. But now it's normal too. And I hope that this normalcy continues. And that also the people who comment on the game, that's ourselves on podcasts like this, most importantly, the print press and the tabloid side of it, begin to understand that these are human beings and the stories of what it is that they do are filled. Not the women that they do are filled only, but the other things that they do are filled are just as important. And when we created Best of Africa, which thank you very much for referring to and speaking of us as highly as you did, the reason I created it 10 years ago was to highlight these kind of things, to say these young men and women do amazing things with other people who are not in the game. And it's that community, the ability to connect with others using a round ball and touching more than the 11 players that you're playing with on one team and saying it's about a globe. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a global movement. And if you have a cause, if, if you're fighting poverty or you're fighting uh, poor education systems or diminished healthcare or whatever it is that is the cause you're championing, it's touching human beings. And even when we talk about the highlights of our year in terms of the podcast we've had, the stories that have touched us more are the stories that connected on a human part. So I think our game is a beautiful game. We can celebrate the individuals for their nutmegs and their talents and their dribbling skills. But like you rightly pointed out, it's those things that they do to add onto that that makes them extra special. And when they do that and they share their limelight with the doctors or the academics or the professionals who are in that space trying to advance a cause or push a needle forward, then those people are extra special. So for me, Marcus Rashford, because he has generated an awareness for the work that players do off-field in a way we have never been able to do with BRA. And I just think it's because we celebrate people who carry different passports. So let's celebrate everybody, and maybe people will understand that it's nothing new, and it will encourage others, including ourselves, to also do more. Amen, Francis. Amen. Well, guys, it's been fantastic to celebrate the players and the coaches. Um, it's been fantastic to hear from everyone about their highlights for the year. Um, but before we, we end the podcast, um, and, um, you know, we certainly want to advance the show. We want to advance what we're doing. I have some ideas. But if I could ask you guys, as we look to 2021, what are you guys looking forward to doing on the podcast? Or what would you like us see, to see us do on the podcast as we as we go into to 2021? And um, let me pause there to say, guys, if you're listening, hit us up on our social media, OTW underscore podcast, on the Twitters, on, on, on Instagram, join our Facebook group on The Whistle Podcast. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube. Easy to find on The Whistle Podcast. So tell us what you guys would like us to do. Um, we want to hear from you. We've got this community. We're around the water cooler. We're around the braai. We know that when you're listening to us, we're on your table and we're part of your home. We're part of your family. We're all around the table. You can see Francis in his salmon shirt right now. He looks amazing. Um, but if I ask you guys as as the core members of this panel, what would you like to see us do in, uh, in 2021 podcast? I think... Uh... First start by saying is that well, personally, I think we enjoyed some of the debates we had. Um, so whether it was the you know, ten ten best tens in Africa or the Project Africa or why there are no um, African managers in, in uh, 
Premier League. So I think kind of those type of uh, debates are definitely enjoyable, and hopefully we can uh, you know, get some some more ideas and plug them in next next year. Are we going to use that for an opportunity to Francis to just convince us about what he thinks? Well, going by so far, probably yeah. <laughs> That's very very unfair, Zay. See, we we all learn together. It's just uh, I'm just too old, so. <laughs> well, well, go on, Francis. Convince us about what we should be doing in 2021. And you know that we value everything I, you say. I think we just need to be doing more of what it is that we are doing. I really think it's it's a real blessing to be a part of this. And I cannot thank you enough for the initiative. I'm a firm believer in just doing. Um, doesn't matter where things start, they will grow organically. And maybe if we had more guests who came in with uh, really differing opinions, um, it could make for more uh, dynamic exchanges. Because I think it's, it's in friction that we find growth. Um, so for me, I think speaking maybe more with some ownership uh, could be interesting to give some insight because I think that's one space very few people uh, get access to. We don't have that many, uh, but we do have some. And I do think uh, the ability to connect with ownership uh, at the top end of the game and at the bottom end of the game so people understand the challenges that they have, because very often we throw arguments at them for uh, spending their money the way uh, we think uh, they shouldn't. Or, but getting them involved and understanding how decisions are made, how coaches are chosen, why a brother like Pizzo like is not being placed in a club, but having that opportunity to have the frank exchange we've been able to have with coaches, management, with players, current and former, I think if we can add that part of the game, um, and then most importantly, uh, the business of it. And here I'm not just talking ownership, I'm talking about those people associated, maybe like some of those brands that um, sometimes we don't understand why they're involved in the game. Uh, there's a big conversation around betting companies today, and a lot of people are like, oh, it's obvious everybody bets on it. Uh, it'd be nice to know what it is that they see in football. But most importantly for me, it's more the alcohol brands because you would think, uh, why would Heineken be sponsoring the Champions League? You would think athletes should not be uh, surrounded by brands like that. So it's also helping our audience maybe to have a better insight, a more informed insight as to the business side of the sport, uh, and just to broaden our knowledge, because we would learn a lot from those kind of exchanges. I think uh, our brothers and sisters around the Bry as well will enjoy it, and we could get some questions that could come from them too ownership and sponsorships that could allow us to have a better understanding of where the sport has gone. Love it. I think they're all great ideas. Um, Spirit Cup, what do you have to say for yourself? Where, are, where we should move to, future targets. Uh, Post-COVID, I would like us to take the show on the road. Um, be on the road. I know we've got a, a good link to uh, Mr. Uton down in up in uh, Forest at the moment. Get out there in his training ground and do interviews there in the heat of the action. I think things like that is something I would love to be part of. I think like Francis was talking about more high profile um, people on to interview, but also owners. Um, 
I, I, I like listening to Simon Jordan on TalkSport, one of the youngest owners of a Premier League football club in the country at a very young age. And, and if we could get him on to our platform, it would be brilliant from our owner's perspective and how he navigated his way through the Crystal Palace ownership. Uh, I also feel I'd like to get some, if it's possible, to get some other journalists on. Zane, the perspective you guys have on football, like Darren Lewis, we've interviewed Mimi before, uh, and I just felt that they bring a pedigree to the show, which helps us um, just move forward and it just increases our network as well. Um, just something. And uh, from a personal note, because we, I, I like to say we humanists of sport, if our podcast can break into another sport, I would love that. And I'm going to throw out there, I don't know about Ahmed and, and uh, Francis, if we can talk rugby, uh, would we are, you know, the, the professional sportsman is what we talk. It doesn't matter the trade. Professional sportsman. I'm, I'm down for that and I'm, I'm down to kind of learn about that as well. So uh, it's uh, yeah. always open. I always say, why not? Why not? I, like, I, what's I stopping us from doing question. it, right? I was waiting for this question, so I had all of my points ready. <laughs> no, it is great. It is great. And you know what? This is a passion project for every single one of us here, right? And we can shape and create however we'd like to do it. And um, from my perspective, I love what everybody's thrown out. And the reason why, as a listener, you might be sitting there going, why are they asking this question? Because we want you guys to tell us what you want. You'll have thoughts about how you want us to shape the show. You'll have thoughts of whether you want to hear Courtney talking rugby, swimming, or as he famously said to us in reference to Lewis Hamilton, the man who drives the cars, um, where we all said, you don't know the Formula One world champ, Courtney? Listen, are we going to start classifying that as a sport? <laughs> then, then what we're going to do next then is say darts is a sport. Some would say it's a sport. <laughs> So anyways, we could take this to, to spaces that we want. If I honestly, you, if you guys ask me from a blue sky thinking and they know boundaries, what we want to do, I would say we have 52 weeks in a year. I think CAF has 56 member associations, 54 of which are full associations. I'd love to tell a football story or speak to a newsmaker from each of our wonderful countries that make up our continent. If it was blue sky thinking, let's get a story from the Gambia. <laughs> let's get a story from Equatorial Guinea. Let's go into the powerhouses of the Ivory Coast and Nigeria and Ghana, Egypt, and let's do it. But I obviously know that, you know, sport doesn't, well, not sport, that the practicalities of it, but a blue sky, isn't it amazing? We've got so many member associations that we can go to and tell stories. And I'd encourage us to think about how we can do that. Um, and something that I would like us to do is I would like us to, we've been so successful in, de in, in delivering a podcast every fortnight. I think we can do this every week of the year. And that is gonna be something that we're gonna turn our attention to with some creative ways of repurposing content, some creative ways of, um, getting our content out there, um, whether that's each of us as our own newsmakers, uh, some creative platforms and, and lens. Because remember, podcasts, 
can be as long or short as you like. So I think there's ways and means that we can be a part of our community's lives every single week. And something that I would love when it's all safe and ready is to get us all in the same room in front of our community and take the show, like Courtney said, on the road and let's get into community halls. Let's get into pubs. Let's get into church communities. Let's get into other religious communities so we're not there to isolate anybody else. And let's interact and talk with you. And something that we all love to do, break bread. And just maybe Johnny's Rotis will come on board and give us some food if we're doing that in South Africa. Maybe Nando's will do that wherever we are in the world. Um, or maybe... We'll have somebody from that local community that we can throw some money to and empower through this podcast because that's what we'd like to do. So those are some of the things I'd like to see us do in 2021. Gentlemen, as always, it's a pleasure. Please have a good new year. Please don't party too hard. Courtney, Francis, and Ahmed, be ready to go in January. We've got a podcast to do every week of the year. I like the sound of that, brother. I I want to say something, Zane. I'm going to go and paint a sign outside on the graveyard wall not far from me. And it's going to say they lucky they missed this year. (laughs) (laughs) Courtney Francis Arvid, a pleasure being with you around the braai. I wish you well, and I can't wait to see your podcast soon in January. Cheers. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.